0: Welcome to another episode of The Raven Narratives. I'm Tom Yoder.
1: And I'm Sarah Severson, and we're the co-producers of The Raven Narratives. The story you're about to hear was told by Heather Hoekst in October at our events at the Mancus United Methodist Church and the Durango Arts Center, when the theme was Belonging. These events were done in collaboration with the Mancus Creative District's We All Belong Arts and Society grant, awarded through Colorado Creative Industries.
0: Heather was born a Southerner, but her soul has always belonged in the Southwest. When she's not getting dirty in the mountains and deserts, Heather practices being a public interest lawyer in Farmington, New Mexico. A founding member of the Hesperus Yacht Club, Heather also enjoys the finer things in life, such as stovetop popcorn and sipping whiskey from thrift store coffee mugs. Here is Heather's story.
2: Hi, everyone. So I grew up in rural Georgia in the 80s. And while all the other kids were eating white bread and bologna sandwiches, my hippie parents were feeding my brother and I wheat German sprouts. We were eating quinoa long before it was cool. (laughs) And I remember this moment when I was about nine years old, and I was sitting in the corner of my friend Monica Seagrave's bedroom, and the other girls were crimping their hair and teasing their bangs, getting ready to go to the mall. And I sat there in the corner, and I realized that my hair was dry and smelled like chlorine, and I had dirt underneath my fingernails from building tree forts with my brother. I really didn't like them all, and I started to wonder, do I belong here? When I was in middle school, my parents transferred my brother and I to a swanky private school in town. We were there on a diversity scholarship. (laughs) I know. It basically just meant that we were poor and country. And there was this little cul-de-sac where all the kids got dropped off in the morning, and I watched as one by one the Mercedes and the BMWs pulled up, and the girls got out with their guest jeans and their North Face backpacks. And I climbed down from my dad's rusted-out dump truck, wearing my chick jeans, and I could just tell from the way those girls looked at me, they did not think that I belonged. I had to drop out about halfway through my first semester of college, see all those years of feeling like I didn't fit in had kind of got down into my insides. And I felt like I didn't even belong in my own body. So I tried to starve my way out of it. And I landed myself in an eating disorder hospital in Atlanta, Georgia. And while I knew that I needed to be there because I needed to learn how to eat again and how to love my body, I really hoped that it was not where I belonged. I moved around a lot after that, trying to find myself. I went down to Florida, up to Virginia, back down to Georgia. I finished college. And when I was about 24 years old, I was standing on a beach in West, Florida. And it was beautiful sunset. And all my close family and friends were there. And I was wearing a wedding dress. And as I looked over at the man that I was exchanging vows with, I felt this tug deep inside my heart as if to say, Not to this man do I belong. Several years after that, I got divorced, and I was getting my master's degree in gender studies in Budapest, Hungary. And I was pretty good at theorizing about how gender should not be viewed on a binary and what it might be like to have dinner with Judith Butler and Michael Foucault. (laughs) Boring. And all I could... All I could think in my head was, yes, but how would this have helped me when I was getting beat by my boyfriend? And how would this have helped that woman who was just a victim of sexual assault? And I knew then that it was not in that ivory tower that I belonged. So I went to law school, like you do when you don't know what to do. (laughs) And in the fall of 2015, I was living in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, And I was working as a public interest lawyer for a domestic violence nonprofit. And while I found my work to be very fulfilling, I never quite felt like I fit into those red high heels that I wore to the courtroom. And on the weekends, when all the other Philadelphians were enjoying the trendy new restaurants and the latest bars that had just opened, all I really wanted to do was find a little piece of woods, preferably without any used needles in it, maybe cook some beans over a camp stove, drink a little whiskey out of a flask. So I took myself on a trip to the desert southwest, and I drove from Salt Lake City, Utah, all the way down to Tucson, Arizona. And I got lost in the canyons of Escalante, and I ran a sky race in Flagstaff that quite literally took my breath away. And I remember this moment when I was driving my rented white Dodge Durango down Highway 89, somewhere between Kanab, Utah, Flagstaff, Arizona. And it was that part where the desert just kind of goes on forever, and you can see the San Francisco peaks in the distance. And I probably had some feminist folk singer on the radio, like Annie DeFranco or Chris Bureka. And tears started falling from my eyes because I realized that I had this sense of inner peace and calm that I had never felt in a place before. And I knew when I returned to Philadelphia that I wouldn't be there for long. So I spent the next several months scouring the public interest law job list serves, And I wouldn't look at the job description. I would just look at the place. <laughs> and most of the time, it was places like New York and Washington, D.C. and Miami and San Francisco. And I wasn't interested. And then one day in the springtime, just as winter was releasing its icy grip on the city, there it was. Tuba City, Arizona. (laughs) So I pulled up Google Maps and I found Tuba City, Arizona and I was like, yeah, that's right near that turnoff where I felt that feeling of inner peace. So I sent off my cover letter and my resume and I heard back right away. (laughs) Because it turns out it's hard to recruit lawyers to Tuba City, Arizona. And then I found out during the interview that they'd made a mistake, and actually the job was in Shiprock, New Mexico. Was I still interested? And so I pulled up Google Maps again, and I could almost see the tumbleweeds going across the computer screen. And I said, yeah, I'm interested. So that May, I flew out for an interview. And I drove my rental car from Durango down to Window Rock, which is where the headquarters of this nonprofit were located. And I drove over places like Narbona Pass and through Nusjiddy and Cheap Springs and up Indian Route 5. And before I left Durango, I drove my little rental car up Moldis Pass. And I was blown away because I had never seen mountains like these before. And as I was coming back down Coalbank Pass, I saw the strangest thing. There was this woman, she was on a bicycle, and she was riding up the mountain. And she had on a pink helmet, and her hair was flowing behind her, and she was suffering. And I thought, yeah, I want to do that. So I got the job. And in July of 2016, I relocated to Farmington, New Mexico. And since then, I've been providing legal services to Native Americans. And my red high heels are somewhere in a shoebox under a bed, and nobody said anything about the fact that I wear chacos to the San Juan County courthouse. (laughs) (laughs) And I spend most of my free time either up in the mountains, playing on the trails, or exploring the deserts and the canyons. And I've ridden my bike over Coal Bank Pass and Molas Pass and back, and I suffered. <laughs> and it was amazing. And I've met a man who loves the deserts and mountains as much as I do. And lucky for me, he loves me too. And now, whenever I leave this place and I have to fly somewhere away, when I get back to the airport and I go into that terminal and I see that that airplane is headed for Durango, Colorado. I get that warm feeling of peace in my soul because I know that I'm going home. And I want to go back in time, and I want to tell that little girl who was sitting in the corner of Monica Seagrave's bedroom or that teenager who was trying to starve herself or that young woman who was standing on the beach, just hold on and don't stop looking because you're going to find the place that you belong. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Heather, for sharing that story with us.
1: To pitch your story for a future Raven Narratives event, fill out the contact form on our website at ravennarratives.org. And we're currently looking for storytellers for our upcoming events in February of 2019, when the theme will be love.
0: Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or Stitcher, and share these stories with your friends.
1: Big thanks goes to photographer McCarson Lee of Red Scarf Shots. Check out the portraits of our storytellers on the gallery page of the Raven Narratives website, and be sure to visit her website at redscarfshots.com.
0: And thanks to our fiscal nonprofit sponsor, Mancus Valley Resources. Find out more about all the wonderful projects they support in the Mancus Valley of Colorado at mancosvalleyresources.com.
1: The website for buying Raven Narratives tickets, ravennarrativestickets.org, was created by Cortez Web Services. Find out how they can help your business online at cortezweb.com.
0: Our theme music was written, composed, and performed by Jazar. And you can find out more about his music on SoundCloud or at freemusicarchive.org.